Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host Mitch Michaels and thank you for listening. Today's show on Monday, January 9th is going to be an eventful one. I've had a musto coming on to talk NFL wildcard weekend. That's the later portion of the show. But first, a very special interview with a good friend of mine, Black Beckham, a hip-hop artist out of Minneapolis originally. He now lives in the Bay Area. We went to college together, St. Louis University. A very interesting guy, a lot to talk about what's going on in his life. He's a passionate basketball fan. We'll get into that. And a good friend of his, as well as mine, Willie Reed. We we're going to talk about him as well and the No Excuses movement. And it is a eventful interview. I'm very glad that he was able to come on the Money Mitch Effect. We're going to start with that interview. Here it is now in its entirety. Black Beckham on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's go. Right now joining me on the line on the Money Mitch Effect, very special guest today, aspiring hip-hop artist Black Beckham, a friend of mine from the St. Louis University Collegiate Days. Black Beckham, thank you for joining the Money Mitch Effect. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a long time since we touched base. I know that in addition to being a hip-hop artist, you are a sports fan, and we're going to get into all that as well. I want to start with this. For as young as you are in the grand scheme of things, I know you've been aspiring in the hip-hop community for a long time. What was the one thing that got you into rap music, if there was one thing, and when did you know that this was a serious profession, that you could make something of this long-term? What got me into rap music? I would honestly say probably my family, um, and to be more specific, both my father and my mother. They're fairly young as far as my peers' parents. So when the 90s was around, the Snoop Dogs, the Ice Cubes, the Scarfaces, Tupac's Biggies, my mom and my dad and my uncles and aunties were their fans. So I remember being five, six years old hearing these artists. Uh, as I got older, I think I dabbed and dibbled and dabbed in a little bit of like poetry slash writing, not up to any beats, but you know, just writing um, in, a, in a journal or mm-hmm. in a notebook. And then early on, this is where the sports comes from. I was like, my dream was five years old, seven years old to play basketball. Probably like 70% of all boys' dreams were to play, you know what I mean, the NBA one day. So that was my dream. As I got older, I suffered an injury around my early teen years, and I started to actually take rap more serious because I kind of like knew my injury was very, very severe at a young age. And then eventually, I kind of my passion kind of grew more for music than it did for actually playing sports. I still love sports. I know that that influences you in your music, your love for sports. And I guess to kind of introduce the, my listeners to you know who you are as a rapper, who are some of your influences? I know everyone is an individual when it comes down to it, but who are some of the rappers that have influenced your style and maybe the message that you're trying to get out? I would say early on. The artists I named, as far as my parents, who they listen to, the artists that my parents listen to, those artists were my earliest influences, the Slick Ricks, the Tupac's Biggies, the Snoop Dogs, the Scarface. My, both of my parents, especially my dad, liked lyricism and lyrics. So I was fond of artists who could tell stories and who could have really nice and really dope word schemes and play on subjects. But as I became you know, a kid and then almost a preteen, my first favorite rappers, I would say, would have been Mace, 
who was uh, very melodic and very flashy, but had punchlines and was very charismatic. And then from Mace, it went on to being, if I recall correctly, I remember uh, 2001 Country Grammar comes out, and Mm -hmm. this guy from St. Louis, one of the reasons why I chose to go to St. Louis University was Nelly. Like, Nelly came out, he came out, he, he created his own, not just buzz, but a wave for his whole city and for his whole crew, which turned into, like, my inspiration to, like, you know, wanting to do things my own way. And after Nelly, then it went into the 50 Cents, the Cassidy's. And there are two rappers that I haven't named yet are my favorite rappers as far as lyrically are Jadakiss and Lloyd Banks from G-Unit. It's interesting that you brought up Nelly because I know, you know, we've known each other for a long time. And one thing about you that stands out is loyalty. You're a Minnesota, Minneapolis native. I know you're living in Northern yes. California right now. Yes. But without Minneapolis, even Minneapolis, Twin Cities. You know, without even knowing that you were a huge Nelly fan, it just makes sense now because he was as loyal. He put his city on St. Louis, and I, just knowing you, you do the same thing for Minneapolis any chance you get. Yeah, like for me, I always was able to support and be inspired from a distance. Like, so with Nelly, I was 12 years old, maybe what, 13, I think we were when he came out. To see the guy wearing the Cardinals jerseys, wearing the Blues jerseys, wearing the Rams jerseys at the top of their peak, but having, you know what I mean, his own sound. And, you know, nobody at that time, if you look at music, you had East Coast and you had West Coast. The South wasn't even a staple yet. Nobody's thinking about, like, St. Louis on the scene. And this guy is making Mark McGuire look like the man. He's making, you know what I mean? He got the Rams right. paint a uh, car to match his jersey. And I'm like, okay, this is this is a superstar right here. And I just remember that being an inspiration to me, being like, if I could do that for Minnesota, Minneapolis specifically, that would be, like, ideally. And that's why even 50 Cent, when he came out, he had a total different approach as far as music. But his content and his feel was all about New York City. And I just like guys who, it's not, you don't have to be overbearing and push, I'm from here, I'm from here. But to make me feel like I can be where you're at and I've never been there or I haven't been to those specific areas is like, to me, is one of the greatest approaches as a rapper. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add to that too, just as someone who also was in the St. Louis area who spent a great deal of my life there, people don't realize Uh just how good Nelly's reputation is. Like, he is a stand-up guy, yeah. and, and everybody respects him because what you said, he's genuine. He said everybody could be something. It's okay to represent your city and have your own unique voice. So I would just add yeah. that to there. Definitely. And, you know, I was blessed to later on, once I got to St. Louis University, to uh, be able to meet him in his environment. I mean, being around, like, his friends and family that I know, that I met. I mean, that even helped me uh, transpire as an artist because I got to see somebody I grew up to in my same vicinity, and they're now showing their, he was showing, I think at the time, a good uh, good friend of mine at the time, Lil Sean, which is his nephew, they were coming up as far as trying to create their own name and their own lane as independent artists. And he, and Nelly, one thing I really, really liked about him, that, you know, some people knock is, the artists around him, his family, his friends, he makes them work just as hard as he works, or right. harder to get his own attention. And that shows, like, because, you know, when you're the first to make it, like, Minneapolis doesn't have a groundbreaking name other than maybe atmosphere as far as hip-hop goes. So we got a lot of artists now that are bubbling and that are making their way and making their waves and making their name uh, on the scene. But we don't have that one person that you can say, like, yo, he did it or she did it. And seeing Nelly do it and seeing what it was like for him to be one of the big names with everybody else still trying to make it, you know, I mean, it was really inspiring because I seen him, like, telling his people how to work and how to act and and who to be and what to do. So he's really fully, like, 
a developed superstar, and, and that was just one person. But our tie-in with St. Louis, I thought that was a good story to just share with the specifics of, you know, going back to our slew days and the Billikens. For and speaking sure. of Billikens, I do not like their new, their new logo. Oh, I don't no, know what happened. Awful. I don't know if they changed it. I hope they do. I'm not a fan of the new Billiken guy. <laughs> It's awful. I mean, I, I'm and I'm pretty positive when it comes to those sort of things, but it's brutal. So I'm hoping I'm with you. We got to get to the bottom of this and figure this out for the Billikens logo's sake. But you know, still talking with Black Beckham on the Money Mitch effect, and I know another thing about you is that you are a very connected guy within the hip hop community. You've gotten the chance to meet and interact with a lot of famous rappers. Is there one piece of advice that someone has given you that's really stuck to what you're trying to do and what you're trying to aspire to be? Yeah, there is one exact statement that I tell everybody. It wasn't from a rapper. It was from a DJ, my uh, like a mentor of mine at the time, DJ LS1. He was uh, the second DJ signed to G-Unit Records in their okay. heyday. So it was Tony, a it was, uh, I'm sorry, DJ Who Kid, which was 50 Cent's personal DJ. Then there was DJ LS1. Who would you know? He would tour with the rest of the guys, uh, Yayo or Lloyd Banks or like the uh, not the game, but Young Buck. And then there's one more guy, DJ Mummy. But DJ LS1, I met him when he was on tour with Yayo. And one thing he said to me, which actually works for this era with social media, was don't ever use people, but utilize people. Because he was explaining to me, I was 16 at the time. It was on, I think MySpace was out. He was yeah. like, there's a lot of people that you're gonna meet that can do favors for you. But you gotta make sure you use your favors correctly and at the right time. And don't use, don't just be around people for favors. So don't use people. But you know, if they if they have something that they can help you with, and you know it will be to your advantage and hopefully their advantage as well, utilize them. So I always tell people that because we get to this point now where there's so many opportunists with social media, with Instagrams and Twitters, and you can be famous for doing this, so you can get likes for doing that. People tend to just go and try to just be a part of every scenario and it ends up coming off as, you know what I mean, being users and being opportunists. And I just always try to be organic and stay like like this show, like me and me and you linking back up after all these years. You know what I mean? It's a great opportunity for the both of us. And I, and I really appreciate it that you even having me on your platform. Absolutely. It, it's no, it's no problem at all. And you know, that piece of advice is so true, whether it's music, whether it's sports, a show or, or whatnot, you know, I keep tying it back to sports, but I think about college athletes that have, the world in their hands and they have all these people that want something from them but it's like you said like that advice you got if they utilize the position that they're in they could really set them up set themselves up for something long term I, that's actually very very good advice yeah definitely and you know when you say see it's a simple it's a simple statement it's not i mean there's no really tricky words in it it's nothing that you have to overthink about but when you really take your time and realize it's not wrong to get something from somebody, but how you go about it is, is the major key to quote DJ Khaled. So <laughs> yeah. I just always, and I think that's what helped me with garnishing and building relationships throughout my life. I never went in like, oh, I can get this from you, or if I stand next to this person, I can be like this, or if I uh, do this for this person, I'll get this in turn. It was more about like, now nah, we'll build organically, and then once I realize how our brands can cross paths, mm -hmm. then we can go ahead and talk about it and make, make it happen. Well, that sounds like a perfect way to go about trying to get to a certain level and, and keep building and keep going forward. I do want to ask you one other thing uh, in, as far as your own personal journey in the music industry, in the rap community. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a foreign concept now, but I know you're a college-educated guy, and there, are not, there weren't that many 
when we were growing up as kids in the rap scene that were quote unquote educated, but that certain, that uh, seems to be changing now. How do you view yourself and, and how, how do you, I guess, use your tools, use your brains and your intelligence to help yourself as a rapper? Yeah, I always uh, pride myself as being fairly educated. Coming from where I come from on the inner city, you know, there's always, even now, if you look at this last election, there's talk about how the inner cities are, aren't that educated and the school systems are poor. But I was blessed to have parents who uh, were able to teach me what they were able to teach me, and I was able to go to school and do fairly well. I did well from elementary on to middle school, junior high, through high school, which landed me a chance to go to St. Louis University. I wasn't, I, I would be honest, I would say as a student, in high school, I think being in the inner city, there was, you know, a little bit of, there was a little bit of a crutch for me because I knew I would be able to outperform, you know, some of my peers where when I got to college, I do see why inner city schools need to be fixed. And I, I didn't understand how to study my first semester at St. Louis University, but it humbled me and it, it taught me to be an adult real quick to see people who could do better, to be better than me in, in a certain situation, such as studying for a test. Not saying I didn't do well because I did, but seeing people that could outperform me that humbled me a lot, and it, and it allowed me to grow up real fast. But as a as an artist, I always took pride in being able to have a great and good vocabulary, and not just words, but poetry. See, people don't realize that a lot of rap is poetry because the way you say things is what makes somebody like you as a rapper. There's right. a certain way Jay Z can say a sentence the same way I say it and make it sound way better, just the way he puts his certain. I mean, his, his charisma on it, and, or he may change up a certain variation of a word, and that's right there is a skill. So that, that comes with being educated, because to have wordplay, to understand how people would think. Because rap these days, is you know, there's, there's sociology in it. There's mm-hmm. psychology a part of it. I mean, there's math a part of it. And if you don't understand all those aspects, you know what I mean? Some people don't or don't know that they understand them, and it's just natural. It's like you make a song about your favorite party or about a breakup. Those, those become uh, therapy to, to fans, and you have to be fairly educated in those topics to talk about them. So depending on what you consider education, it varies. But like now, I do like seeing like Jadena. He went to Stanford University, graduated from there, and now he's a, I mean, a primetime artist. He's yeah. a, I mean, he talks about, he made a song, Classic Man, he's in a suit. I mean, you have rappers who, you know, are educated, such as like Chance the Rapper, and he's educated in... He didn't go to college, but he his dad was a part of the, the Democratic political network in Chicago. He's very educated on the political systems and, and, and being being around politicians in his area. He understands foundation work and how to deal with you. The biggest thing I learned from our generation, from the past generation, we've learned how to be way more independent, be way better at being independent, understanding distribution, understanding marketing, understanding promotion. You know, just everything from finances to paying employees. Like, artists mm-hmm. these days, we, we, we make a song, we distribute it via the internet, you start talking show money and all these different avenues. You have to be able to be a, a record label yourself. Right, and you know, you brought up Chance the Rapper. That's a guy with no major label background and still was able to put out one of the best pieces of work of the year. And, and I just think, too, looking at it from a different perspective, whether it's school education or just reading and, and life experience, you get information that's going to help you in anything. And I think it's adding to the perspective of a lot of hip-hop artists like yourself. And, you know, knowledge is power. It's a, it's a cliche phrase, but it's so true. And I think we're starting to see just how real it is in the hip-hop world. 
Definitely. And, you know, it's also our generation was pushed. When we were younger, we were told to go to school and go to college. And so a lot of us naturally had that in our path. Like, I was a part of my path, regardless of, I mean, where I was going to end up. I knew I always wanted to, I mean, go to college and experience just everything about college, living in a dorm, being around my peers, being in a different state. So that was part of my path, no matter where music was going to take me. And that was kind of a little bit what has gotten me, you know I mean, I, I kind of double dutched in like doing music and going to school early on. Like, okay, I'm really just going to go to school. But then music was just a passion of mine. I couldn't let it go. And that's why I'm here now. Well, that's working so far. I know you're still, you've still got a lot of growing to do, but it's, it's going good so far. And you're further ahead on the curve than a lot of people. So I think that's definitely good. As I sit here and talk yeah, with yeah. Black Beckham on the Money Mitch Effect. We're going to switch topics now to sports. we got to bring back up the sports narrative. This was the topic of a lot of different debates and discussions when we were college students, but here we are nearly a decade later. It's hard to believe that. And I, I know it's hard. We're getting older. It's just crazy how that works. But I know you're a Minneapolis guy, and there's not a team that – and first off, there's not many people that rep their team as much as you, but the Timberwolves. i got to talk to you about them. Because it's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting couple years. But as far as young talent goes, I would put them in the category of one of the best young rosters that there is in the league. Okay, before we start, I will say (laughs) sports is my favorite topic, period, to talk about. I will argue with you on Facebook, Twitter, Oh, I know. I I can vouch for that. Snapchat, in person, the lunchroom, everywhere. I love sports. Specifically, I'm more knowledgeable in basketball and um, some of football. As the years have passed, I've lost my knowledge of baseball and even soccer a little bit that I knew. But as far as Minneapolis and the Timberwolves go, it's been a a love-hate relationship this year. (laughs) Not hate, such as I hate the team, I hate the players, but I hate the situation we're in at times. I think we are the best young team, regardless of what our record says as far as uh, our talent and where we're headed. If you look at our big three, we possibly have, to be totally fair, we have a top five big three right now Ooh, in the okay. team, Wiggins, and Towns, if you look at individual performance. That's, their numbers, yeah. their PER, their growth rate. The biggest issue with us is we have a totally new team with a totally new coaching system with yeah. no veterans. So I thought, personally, you know, I have pride, fifth, sixth, seventh seed, would be our, I mean, our destiny this year. AC was kind of, for me, was like, yeah, we do bad. But being that we're not, we're the last, we're in last place right now in the West. I, I just checked today because I was just on my NBA. Looking. We're in last place today, and we're looking like we're going to be a lottery pick. It's bittersweet because, you know, we, I know we're getting better, but I want to see results. We haven't been in the playoffs in, I don't know how long, maybe 12 years, they said. I, I think I was living in Minnesota last time we made the playoffs as far as, like, a high school kid. Yeah. Watching Kevin Garnett go for 30 and 40, as much growth as we have, we literally, by next year, we have to start becoming a team that wins games. Yeah, a couple of things that I'd like to just kind of add to that. If you would have told me, and I think anybody basically, that that was the Timberwolves' big three and that they would be in that top five discussion, I would have probably called you crazy with Levine being in there, but his year has been I agree. unbelievable. I agree. Levine was, to me, he's been... I, I don't want to ask, like, people always talk about, like, what is Levine going to do? Wiggins looks all right. Towns is, a lot of people are giving Towns, like, the crown as being the, the go-to guy. I'm still sold on Wiggins, personally. Right. 
I think Wiggins gives it to you, gives it to the uh, opposing team night in, night out. He's probably our best defender. His athleticism this early in the stage of the game allows him to be able to do things at the end of the game. I think if we're going for two points, the safest bucket is a town's bucket. But if we're looking for somebody to lean on night in, night out, it's kind of like the Kobe Shaq effect. Yeah. Is gonna, you know, he's going to give you those big games and big numbers. But if we're talking about every single game, plus the playoffs, plus fourth quarter, every, just everything, at the very best, it's supposed to be a two-man team. And Levine is that third guy that can just be a killer. But I think one piece that we have that nobody talks about that I truly like is Gorgie Jane. Gorgie Jane is very consistent. Oh, yeah. he's, a, he's a good defender. Our problem is, once again, we're like two years too young. Like Next year, these guys will only be 22 years old. Some people want to – I don't want that a situation where people are starting to push them to want to win right away and then they end up having have the pressure of leaving or breaking up or any of that, as you've seen with other teams. I just like it where it is now, like let them grow and let's just mature and hopefully get it together soon because I want to see these, these boys win. Absolutely. And, you know, Levine went from being an X-Factor athlete to now a legit slasher, a legit beast from the wing outside and inside. I think part of it is their youth. They'll figure this stuff out. I think it's it's a good problem to have for a young team that is building for the future. I do want to say I do like Thibodeau as a coach. He, he, he has to figure out the roster. And I think we can agree what the biggest issue with this team is figuring out the direction, the future of that point guard position. And I don't, I don't dislike Ricky Rubio, but I think it's clear that it's not the team for him. I think he's still an asset. I think you could get something for him. But I just don't know if he's a fit long term anymore with the Timberwolves. Definitely, and I was one of the biggest Rubio supporters when he first got drafted because I liked his his passing ability and his ball handling ability. As time has progressed, I do not like the fact that he has never even he's not even a, he's like you can't even really put him as a below average shooter. He's like below that, and it's kind of you know I mean that's yeah. kind of disheartening because it's like this guy is still able to start and do so many things where we don't, a lot of people don't look at his shooting. So when you're talking about a team like the Timberwolves that has this many young players, if they can, if teams can play five on four, they will. And that's what they're allowing to happen with Rubio being on the floor. You know, when he's played well, he's played well. I do think a team that allows him to just be a passer and defender is where, where he needs to be. Or maybe even backing up a playoff contender, championship contender type squad. But with us, we're looking for I think we need somebody that can hit an open shot. I think Ben can honestly start. He, he showed me enough on defense where he could be a lockdown defender in two years. I think his problem is because he's playing behind Rubio, he hasn't been able to have bad game, enough bad games to develop as a starting offensive point guard. Like right. He still takes yeah. certain bad shots. He's still scared to shoot. He's still shooting. Like I, I judge people off their misses, so when when he's shooting shots and they're they're breaking really hard, I know he's not comfortable yet. They're not they're not soft touches, and then you see amazing plays from him, like the Shabazz play where he <laughs> yeah, goes yeah. around the guy, two K sixteen NBA street style. And you're like, did he really just do that on purpose in an NBA game? So I think we we need veteran leadership. One issue that we also don't talk about for me personally, I don't know his numbers, but Belita hasn't done his job as a stretch four with this team. If he was doing his job, we could probably hide some of Rubio's flaws. But when you have all when all your bench players don't really show up to play as much and then you know Shabazz was hurt, your first seven games you lose four or five of them by three points. 
now you're in a hole and you dig deeper and you dig deeper and then you're back to where you were last year. So, you know, it's going to take a little time for them. Um, point, I, We got to trade. I think we need to trade Rubio. <laughs> yeah. I think for his sake and our sake. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's a lot of young offense. You can get something, an asset for Rubio, something that can help your team Definitely. long-term. And I think, like, I mean, I know it's, it's a long-term project. Like you said, it's tough when you're a fan. You want to see results quick. But I think, uh, not to steal the moniker, trust the process, but I do think that there is light at the end of the tunnel for this team. Yeah, we're a scary team. Trust me, I'm out here. I'm, I'm currently, you know what I mean, right now in the, in the Bay Area. And I, the Warriors fans will tell you, like, there's oh, yeah. no backing down. I don't care what day, what our record's looking like. When we play any team, I'm going for the Timberwolves. I know what Wiggins. Wiggins and Towns, to me, look like Kobe with the nappy fro meets the new Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. Yeah. Meets this this young Levine character that's almost like another baby Kobe. Like, we're seeing these guys at 21 years old go for 30 and 40, dunking. Like, who's more exciting right now? I mean, if you're talking about these playoff teams, but – as a unit, there's not there's nobody more excited than the Timberwolves on a nightly basis. Seeing Towns and Wiggins, Levine, Shabazz Muhammad to give you four highlight plays in the game unexpectedly here and there. And I think players like Shabazz Muhammad, players like Dunn, they need a veteran who can create turnovers, who can hit knockdown shots, because that'll make those guys play better when they can trust their teammates. So now if they make a bad play, keep it going. We're up five, we're up six, we're up ten. It's a tie game. But when you're down 20 and you make bad plays or you you passing it and then you're shooting bad from the three-point line, you're not creating turnovers like you do when you're winning, you have no way of getting out those slumps. And, you know, Kevin Garnett was great for those guys. That's my favorite player of all time. Oh, I know. Um, he was great. <laughs> like, I don't think people realize how beneficial just that one year was. for some, Like, Towns' attitude would probably not be what it was today as far as the way he talks to himself during – you see his mouth chatter – He's talking crazy, like like KG effect. Kevin Garnett. I had I had personal uh, people that was connected with Kevin Garnett during the time of Timberwolves. You go to the rec, Lifetime Fitness, LA Fitness, and watch Kevin Garnett play. Your uncle plays against him. He's gonna curse them out and talk to them the same way he's talking to Tim Duncan and Shaq, as if it's a playoff game. It was right. just that energy and that vibe that that turned Towns and Wiggins and these guys into what they were this year. And it's unfortunate, you know, once again. But you know, it's, it's always time to turn it around. I'm no sort of loser. You basketball is a game of respect. If you don't respect your competition, you will never win a championship. And you see, Kevin Durant had to respect his competition, I guess, and join the super team. So, yeah. and you see, LeBron is still steady making. And yes, for all the viewers and listeners who listen, I definitely talk talk smack when it comes to any other team that's not the Timberwolves. So, if you hear me talk, this is just all, all, all out of fun and games. But, yes, uh, LeBron is still building his super teams, and Durant has joined one. So, this is what the uh, Timberwolves have to face on a nightly basis. Hey, if you want to be a champion, you got to beat the best, and that's what it is. Absolutely. As I sit here still talking with Black Beckham on the Money Mitch effect, you touched on a good thing about those super teams. And I do want to get your thoughts on the state of the NBA, because on, on one hand, you have... Some of the most exciting, offensively gifted, just jaw-dropping performances that we've seen in a very long time. But on the other hand, there's all these super teams. We pretty much know who the final two, three, four teams are going to be when the dust clears. Are you a fan of what you're seeing? Do you think it's both good and bad? How would you assess the current NBA landscape? I don't mind it. See, I, I always thought, like, as a competitor, it doesn't matter who you were playing against. If you're in the NBA, right, you realize you're playing with some of the best players ever on your right. team and against. 
So you feel like any given night we can win a game. We're built to win against anybody. If I'm on the Clippers, if I'm on the Blazers, if I'm on the Warriors or Cavs, or even if I'm on Boston, I know these guys have worked night in, night out for so many years to be at this point to where they can shoot this well, they can dribble, they can, I mean, be high flyers. So I'm confident as if I'm a player like, like an Avery Bradley, like we can beat the Cavs, we can beat the Bulls. But that's just my confidence basketball side. So I don't think it's bad if you're an athlete. Now as a fan, I can understand for some people who are kind of occasional fans or just fans because of their city, or even those who die hard. Like Minnesota's never won a championship, and we've only been around as long as I've been around since 89. But even me being from Minnesota, I don't mind seeing these teams join each other. The only reason why I say that is because there's going to be a teeter-totter effect now. you got super teams based on people who play with their peers. So Kevin Durant's friends with Curry and Clay and Draymond because they came up together, whether it was in the NBA or college or AAU. Well, now what's going to happen with these next-level kids? They're going to get drafted to Philly, to Minnesota, to the now the Miami. And uh, the Orlando, and then eventually these guys will probably create super teams on different teams that we haven't seen. So I, I don't mind it. And like I said, at the end of the day, it's basketball. Only five people can play, even if you have 20 all-stars on your team. Well, your five better be able to play and come play as consistent as those five. So it doesn't bother me as much. I don't like the super teams where, I'm going to be honest with you, I had somewhat of a problem with Durant going to Golden State, not because – it was a super team, but because you went to, like, your own team's, like, your enemy. Like, it was yeah, a thing where you were up 3-1 against them people. I mean, I know it's a long – this happened now almost a year ago, but you were up 3-1 against them with your brothers, your band, your group, your people you blood, sweat, and tears every day with, and then they beat you. Now, I don't know the dynamics of your relationship with those guys because we only see you on the court. So you might really be close to them. But then they beat you, and then you join them, and then you let this guy is all alone. So it is what it is. I'm more of a Westbrook fan these days because of it. Because oh, yeah. Of course, we all know Westbrook loves being the alpha male on his team, so he's probably never leaving now. I don't yeah. think he ever was going to leave. Yeah. But at the same time, I think his confidence and his ability is, is similar to what I like seeing. A guy who just says, I'm going to deal with what I have, and we're going to figure it out with what we got. Yeah, and I would add to that, there's elements of – quote-unquote, not being the best competitor in what Durant did and what some of these players are doing by teaming up. But you still have one basketball, as you said. You still have to go out there and compete. There are still good teams, the Houstons, the San Antonios, that are competing two and three in the West, you know, and they're able to put together good squads that can challenge any of these teams. And I think the, the new super teams I, I call, like, the LeBron effect, and it's, it, it, we, as a fan, we, we looked at it as bad at first. Like, oh, he's joining this team and that team. But as now being older, looking at business and looking at, like, me being an independent artist, the fact that you can now have your destiny in your hands where you're going to say, it, it's set up now. So, like, every two, three years, your team is going to scramble to keep you because you can go join a team if you want. With the salary caps, be, with enough teams being able to give you money. Exactly. And with the way that your draft class, free agency works, like now – if you drafted in the class of 2016, four years from now, then your next contract six years from there, yeah. now you guys are the, are the superstars. Y'all came up together. You guys can now start to create, you know what I mean, revenue for yourself and for your your family as well as better situations as far as winning by having being able to say, hey, I'm going here, I'm not going here. I'll give me a two-year deal versus a six-year deal. You know, back in the day, artists weren't, like we, I mean, uh, 
basketball players, like we talked about, educated. They weren't as educated. They just played. They were they were happy. But there were super teams back then. The, the Lakers were a super team. And the Boston Celtics were definitely a super team. Yeah, it's um, true. I'm sure at some point, even if you look at Philly, kind of had one with Dr. J, Moses Malone. Like, those teams will still be some of the teams now with that yeah. many stacked players. I think it was more organic, similar to Boston. Like, I, I consider Boston 08 team more organic because KG and Ray Allen got traded there. You know what I mean? They weren't really like, yo, we're going to play together. It was like individual trades that happened and brought them together, which sparked LeBron joining his boys, which now this is the LeBron effect. If you if it doesn't work with your team after five, six years, yeah. hey, like a Chris Paul, you know, Clippers don't win, Knicks don't win, some of them guys might start joining up. And it, it creates excitement because it's like we don't know what's going to happen. Y'all, we don't know what team they're going to play for. Right. They might join up and be on Orlando Magic together. It's We're now so- looking at Orlando as a powerhouse. Wow, I don't even know how that would work, but I'm intrigued. And I, it does seem like we're going to get to that <laughs> point where it's Chris Paul and Carmelo teaming up because... I want to see yeah. that. I would. Lo- I don't want to see... Like, honestly, I don't... I would love to too. see it because I would like to see what they would do. But at the same time, I'm all about loyalty, like as you hear. I mean, as you stated with me with Minnesota. So it's like Chris Paul's in, in the Clippers. Y'all got to figure it out at Clippers. Now, Melo, I mean, he's a New York guy. He's probably not going to leave. I wouldn't mind uh, Chris Paul if he's going to. If you leave, though, my rule is if you leave, you should have to go to the other uh, to the other conference. You know what I mean? You guys, you're going to leave out the West. You got to go to the East. LeBron, you're going to leave out. Because all, you know I mean? all you're getting is certain guys are going to be able to stay on. Like, not, let's not look at LeBron because he's a great player. But some of those guys that play with LeBron are just following LeBron to a certain extent, like those yeah, guys, like that, James well, they're Jones. really good players, <laughs> but they're making that last yeah. roster spot, going from Miami to Cleveland, to Cleveland, Chris to wherever, Anderson, James that. Jones, like, now, Mike Miller, yeah. You can join a team, but you got a transfer conference, yeah. if it's going to be more than one, like, that might be fun too, but I don't want to put too many limitations, Fair. that's just me as a fan saying it, because I want to see Durant go play for the Bulls or the Wizards, wow. and compete against LeBron in the playoffs and make that interesting, versus... All he did was add to a championship team, so technically they just got better, which means we're projected to see them again. It doesn't really do much, but you know, it doesn't really do much for the sport. But then again, like I like I stated before, well, now the Blazers, now the Clippers, Houston, Westbrook, they have more motivation to play better. And if they do beat that team, it's like David versus Goliath, and that will be amazing for for the sports book. So we'll see. Oh, we will. And I, I do want to talk to you before. We wrap up this interview with Black Beckham on the Money Mitch Effect. A guy that we both know, you obviously more than me, a NBA player, Willie Reed, who is on an absolute tear right now. And it's just wonderful to see what he's done, what he's doing for the Miami Heat. He's a St. Louis University Billiken yes, alum. Yes, I know he's one of your good friends. And I know there's a lot of similarities with you, too. Do you see those same similarities? His journey to make it to the top of the basketball landscape at the NBA in your journeys in music, what Willie's doing right now is, and I will say this, it's inspiring for a lot of people like us that went to school with him and, and have dreams of our own. Yeah, definitely, me and Willie have similarities. You know, we're friends, so we have conversations throughout the uh, months and throughout the weeks, and we talk about different things. So you're always going to have a lot of similarities with your friends. But as far as our journeys go, I do use his journey kind of as, like, it's, it's funny, I, I did a tape called No Excuses. It was of January of 2016. He had just signed with the Brooklyn Nets last year, so that was his first year. And I told him, like, I'm going to do this mixtape titled No Excuses based on the movement he created, a hashtag he created, 
right. it turned into a movement during his end of his college days into his professional career, which was, you know, a, stint, a, a very brief stint overseas that turned into the D-League. And no excuses was, you know, basically no matter what happens, no matter where your journey takes you, you don't have no excuses for it. Just continue to grow and prosper and, and, and be in love with who you are and where you're at at the moment. And then from there, he had to call Willie up, hashtag. And so what happened was call Willie up was, was kind of took over as his main movement. Then when he got to the league, he had to retire that. And that was something he had to get rid of. But he's this, this player that grew up in the, in the social media era. So, you know, you want to tie something to your brand. It's something that stuck with the call Willie up with no excuses. So right when he got to Brooklyn, I told him I'm doing the tape. If you look at the cover of the tape, I'm at, it's actually the first game I got to see him play in the NBA in Brooklyn's arena. I'm walking through the tunnel, and it was just like a monumental moment for me because, you know, seeing my guy go from the college rankings, not being – he was a star within our community, but not in the college field, and building his brand up to the point where the Nets signed him because of a great summer league, which turned into now Miami, getting him back because they lost him during that, that period of time. And – Watching him shine is kind of like I, I like to equate it to where I'm at. Like I'm probably like in that D League situation now, where you know I have a record out now that people are enjoying and it's starting to build my attention. But I know I'm not where I want to be yet, as far as on the level that I want to be. And then once I get to that level, it's about competing at that level and being better than the people at that level. And like I said, like you said, he's on a, a tear right now. Once again, to all the listeners, I, I watch basketball almost probably daily. If I'm not recording music, writing music, or handling business, I'm watching basketball. Even when I'm recording, we got basketball on the TV, on a cell phone going on. He uh, had his career high this year, career high this week with 22 and 18. Got to watch that game. And it was a blessing to see him play against Tyson Chandler. Because, you know, we all grew up watching Tyson Chandler. Yeah. To see him compete against him. Then the next day, they played the Kings. And, you know, he was like six points and four rebounds, I believe. But as a team, collectively, with him starting, they held Cousins to his lowest point total in a year and a half, as well as his lowest, like, field goal percentage. He was like 4 or 15. And then fast forward to Friday, he had another monstrous game with 22 and 12. And one thing we, all, we see, Willie's a, a grinder. He's a hard worker. He's determined to show that he can win playing at the highest level without having to, like, you know what I mean? He, he forces his will in the ways he's supposed to. He's a defender. Right. He's a shot blocker. I always preach to him, make sure you rebound and make sure you block shots because that's, that's what they're paying you for. And then once you get an open shot, you've got to be prepared for the moments that you, I mean, that you don't know are coming. So when you get that 18-footer, when you get the pick and pop, when you get a, uh, a back down and you want to take a hook shot or if you get the lobs and all that, be prepared to score on offense within the Florida offense, but on defense, you have to force your will. You have to go take that charge, go ahead and block that shot. And, you know, one, one thing about Willie that a lot of people are starting to realize now, his athleticism is A1. He's, he can jump of course, and yeah. he can rebound with the best of them. I think coming in the league, he was only like 225, 230. He's a clean 235, 240 now, Mitch. Like, I know for me and you, we remember the old skinny Willie and seeing <laughs> Showtime and as slew this lanky kid dribbling and dunking and playing with likes of Kwame who's doing well overseas and playing with those guys, Jordan, and then to see him now be 240 going up today playing against DeAndre Jordan, yeah. playing solid minutes, getting 10 rebounds. DeAndre Jordan, I mean, and then 
every elbow you get, every hip check you kind of get when the boxing out, every somebody tries to dunk on you, those are all learning experiences for him right now. He's never had that. So to see him compete with those guys, do well, learn on the fly. To everybody who, who doesn't know about Willie, I, I would say Google him. Because one thing that you're going to see is nothing but uh, good praise from him. Unanimous Haslam's talked well about him. More recently, Jawan Howard, like they talk about Jawan Howard, coaching him, teaching him. He's a hard worker. Like, I was there. We were in L.A. last year. He's doing two-a-days with Drew Hamlin. And I got to shout out my guy, Drew Hamlin. Um, yeah, one of the somebody best. somebody that I follow more on social media. And nobody knows this, but about four, maybe when Willie was first coming out, I tried to link Drew Hamlin with Willie to train. And Drew Hamlin was kind of a no. I ain't going to say nobody because I think at that moment he was training David Lee only, and one of his best friends. And being that we were in St. Louis, and being I'm a basketball fan, I, run, I come across this guy, Drew Hamlin. He was verified by one of our mutual friends, Chris, one of our boys from uh, back in St. Louis. Chris knew about Drew Hamlin as far as his college career and training. So I told him right away, like, look, I told Willie, David Lee's an all-star at this moment. or was, uh, He was an all-star maybe a year before that, two years before that. You need to give it to this guy. Fast forward four years now later, now it's uh, 20 summer of 2016. Drew Hamlin's probably the number one trainer. He trained all of my Timberwolves. But he, he blessed Willie and allowed Willie to come out to L.A. and train with some of the best NBA players. They worked on a lot of things. And I got to thank Drew Hamlin on behalf of Willie because the biggest thing that he fixed is his free throws. Willie's shooting really well from the free throw line. And that's mine. That's what I think. I'm like the dad in this year. Like, <laughs> yeah. you got to shoot free throws. Shoot your free throws. Yeah, you got to get out. how many blocks did you have today? Hey, man, why did you let this guy go around you for that one? You know, I'm nitpicking at things. Yeah, Whether yeah. win or lose, they win. I'm like, hey, why did you let him set that pick like that? You know, I, it's easy for me to say with my feet up, eating <laughs> eating uh, popcorn, relaxing, and he's breathing hard, getting yeah. elbowed by DeMarcus Cousins. It's definitely a no excuses. is a movement, though. He started the foundation, the No Excuses Foundation in Kansas City. The first year, last year, was his first chance of, like, doing anything as a professional for the community. He had a basketball clinic. Kids from his area never seen the NBA players before because he's one of the few. He got Alec Burke to come out from the Utah Jazz, came out. But there's a lot bigger plans in, in store for 2017 with Foundation this summer. And we'll look to expand because, you know, I'm from Minneapolis and I want to help my city as much as I can. And even saying that we've talked about St. Louis because mm-hmm. that's where we all met and all linked up. So, yeah, um, that's my and and for anybody for clarification, Willie is my favorite power forward center in the league right now. I want to see him do the best he can, and he this week has proved to all my friends in out of town that everything I've been saying about him is true. He can compete. He's looking like the best at times on the floor, even if it's with the second unit. And then even when he started with the first unit, you know you can see clearly fifteen, five, ten feet within the basket. People don't want to go in there with him. No, they didn't in college purposes. either. They don't want to be around that. He's really showtime, and I'm proud of him. That's great. Now, it, you touched on it, too. If you can rebound, block, box out, take charges, there'll always be a place for you on any roster. Always and that's, be a place for you. That's and then, the see, basis what, of his cool game. Is, I know he has offensive capability, and I mean really good skills. He's, I don't know if you, if you can go back and get a chance and go look at his league highlights or his Brooklyn highlights. He was a beast. Look at, the, look at his actual highlights. I know his highlight tape, so it's only going to be based on the good plays, but watch his plays and notice the type of moves he does make when he makes them. Look at his footwork. Look at his, his uh, arch. Look at his soft touch. He definitely has a lot of skill set on offense. What people praise him about is you get 22 points a game, 
or 22 points in your starters in your in your games that you start, and they're all around the rim. That's amazing. It's hard to just get layups and dunks, and let alone to get enough to get 22 points. Yeah. And then you're getting rebounds and and double digit rebounds. So to put up 22 and 12 twice this week as a starter, I'm proud of him, and I, and I like to see that he's with a franchise that he loves. So I will say that he loves being there. Yeah, and you know that's that's a, that's a major key. His journey has been has been remarkable. He's went through a lot of setbacks, and to get where he is, the road he's taken has been phenomenal to watch. As you know, someone that followed him that is also a slew alum, it's been great to see. And yeah, I'm just I'm excited. And, and now I can go to people. And before it was, yeah, this guy I went to school with, and they'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll look for him. And now they know who he is. So that's the the transition I've seen. And, and that's a blessing, like as an artist for me too. See, I'm coming up, I'm coming up the ranks, but I'm also being able to see one of my good friends go through the interview process. Seeing him do bad interviews, not because he's saying the wrong things, but because he looks nervous. To seeing him now looking like a vet, he came in the game. If you think about the basketball game, his rookie year was last year at 24, 25 years old. So he's like a, a rookie vet. Mm-hmm. He's been around enough professionals and around enough professional atmospheres to where he knows how to handle himself. He knows how to, uh, I mean, he has children now, things of those natures that make teams want you, that makes fans love you. You're not out there just being wild and crazy. And I'm learning that's what keeps their longevity around. Because a lot of teams will, will take you, if you look at, even looking at like a record label, they'll take that artist, that celebrity, that big name, who's also great for the community, who's also great for the locker room, also, I mean, great for the for, for the studio, you know what I mean, being around other other peers and, and, and just being a positive impact, and that's what Willie is, and the model, no excuses, thumbs up everything and everything we stand for, like, no matter what happens, no matter where you go, the road you take to get there has to come with no excuses, because we're all dealt a tough hand, not everybody's dealt a bad hand, but a lot of us are dealt, dealt a tough hand, whether it's, with, it's within your career, maybe you didn't know the person that this person knew or maybe you didn't get to go to this school. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is this isn't your, you didn't play on this basketball team or look at Willie. I wasn't I'm not seven feet. I wasn't blessed to be seven feet. And he understands his blessings but he also understands that, you know what I mean, you got you can't complain for the things you didn't do. And that's where we're at with it and I stand with the whole no excuses movement. I'm a part of it. On the music my now my music end is a lot different from his basketball. My my mixtape is not to be confused with with our actual like foundation, where see my music as an artist, no excuses. It's more about the model, the model, I mean, what it stands for. My the, right. the content is all me. So the things I say in my songs, the things I do is Black Beckham's view on life and and how it ties into no excuses. And if you listen to my music, which I hope and and I tell everybody to do, when you listen to no excuses, take the best part about it is you're gonna see and you're gonna hear the journey, Willie's journey in there, because I have lines and I say certain things that talk about being in Brooklyn, talk about Showtime, I find like Showtime Garden LeBron, I'm a witness. Like seeing my friend play 2K against him in college and he's picking LeBron and Durant and how he's guarding LeBron and Durant. I mean, what's better than that? Seeing seeing Money Mitch effect, I watched this grow from the slew radio station, which was pretty dope, dope radio station in in the BSC to seeing you, you know what I mean, talk about doing it at this level, being a, you know I mean, uh, an up-and-coming journalist who's doing it and on some of the top dot-coms and some of the top, I mean, the way you put it is 
It did, and I uh, appreciate the kind words. Uh, I think we were bred with a lot of creative people that basically, you know, enhanced what we were trying to do, and, and it fueled us to do bigger and better things in the different walks of life. Before I let you go, one last thing, Black Beckham on the Money Mitch Effect. What do we have on tap for you uh, music-wise? I know the new song that you released, Familiar, has been doing very well. What else is on tap, and what do you got lined up for 2017? Well, first and foremost, I'll tell everybody, please go and listen, download, or stream Familiar. It's available on iTunes, Apple Music, Idol, Spotify. It's all I dropped right at the end of the year. Like you said, being from Minnesota, I've been away from my for a while, living-wise, and I've, I've always been tied in. I always go visit. But this, this next year coming up, I want to bring people into what started Black Meckham, so Familiar as hence the title is about seeing things how they used to be but seeing them now and then shouting out some of the people that helped me get to where I'm at as far as friends in the industry, friends, personal friends who, who are doing things as well. So when you hear the names I state in the song, back home those names kind of ring bells, but also they mean a lot to me. So Familiar is a dope record. It's an up-tempo record. Uh, people are I'm getting good reviews on it. A lot of other uh, internet radio stations and DJs are, are starting to get it. It's being played in the East Coast. It's being played in the Midwest. I do have to shout out even like DJ Waffles from B100 Radio down in Atlanta played it. Different people are playing it. So that buzz is starting to go. I shot the video. The video will be getting released real soon. So be looking out for familiar the visual. Um, I do have another record coming out after that titled Green Tea. It's featured uh, another artist from Minnesota. I don't, I'm not going to give out that name yet because like back home, people are kind of starting to watch and I want to I want to make everything its own story. So I want to stick with Familiar. And then we got Green Tea coming. And after Green Tea, my goal is I, I will actually give you, a, a, since you are the money, you are money mentioned, this is money mentioned, I will give you a little insight with me. Okay. After Green Tea is coming later this year, I'm not going to give the in-between time, but later this year, people can be looking forward to EP with a short film that will go with the EP that I'll be releasing maybe around the fall. So I'm going to say Familiar's out, Familiar Video's coming out, Green Tea is the next song. Everything in between is a mystery, and in the fall, be looking out for Almost Home, the EP with the short film, which will lead into possibly, well, not possibly, which will lead into my first album. And, and this is, will be my first album ever. So that will be the end of 2017 into early 2018. And I'm just giving you this because with this whole no excuses moniker, you're going to see how the things that I say, I actually work towards and push every step of the way. You know what I mean, I, I want you to even, when you when we offer these phone lines and all that, let me know that I follow my plan. So for everybody who's listening, they can go back and say, hey, he said in January, these songs are coming out. This will be happening next. And it did. So I'm ready. Ask everybody, you can check me out on SoundCloud, my Instagram, my Twitter, Facebook, everything is at Black Beckham. That's B-L-A-C-C-B-E-C-K-H-A-M. And Black is spelled B-L-A-C-C. A lot of people have been asking, just so people know, Mitch knows me by, by first name, and he knows me by, I had a different record rap name, which used to be T.J. Parker, which was, was my nickname. It's almost like my real name, but it's my nickname of my family and friends. But I go by Black Beckham now. And black stands for believe and create control, and which means you got to believe in yourself. And once you believe in yourself, you can you can be your own boss, you can be your own leader, and you can create control for yourself. 
and that all ties into the No Excuses movement and everything. That's Black Beckham. So definitely check me out. I got I got a lot of things coming up as well. And then there's some other things that I'll probably have to come back to the podcast for and give more announcements maybe later on this year and check in with you because we got to talk playoff basketball. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely not going to let you get me on here now and not come back during the playoffs because I'm, I'm going to be ready to give you my prediction. Well, I don't doubt you. I'm going to be an active follower of your career endeavors. It's very exciting. Thanks for coming on the show, Black Beck. I'm a good friend of mine. I'm glad we were able to link up and do this. And it's been inspiring. And I'm somebody trying to kind of cover up my own niche and not to make this about me, but just seeing you, seeing Willie, seeing Chris, seeing whoever, guys that we were friends with. Now, now before succeed. we leave, i got to put you on the spot real quick. Okay. I have to ask That's a fair. question, and I'm hoping the answer is yes. That's fair. Now, you money mentioned, you got the money mentioned back. I'm just trying to figure out if we're friends, and we're good friends, so how come I was not asked? Because I, I haven't seen nobody do it yet. What's up with this Money Mitch Effect theme song or intro song? How come I haven't been asked <laughs> to be the, the lead vocal? Oh, that? man. Okay, so that's fair. That's fair. The program has just started. I have some music, okay. and I respect the people that have okay. hooked me up with that. I'm not going to bash you. I just need 15, anyone. 30 seconds to be your intro. I'm, I don't want to rap. Hey, I can rap. We can do it all. Absolutely. I, I want the official song, the official Money... I want, but while I did for first thing, oh, yeah. I want to do for the money that you I, I, I want to make it clear. I'm very grateful for the music that I have right now, but the offer is on the table. If you're interested, absolutely, okay. we can we can set something so you, up. You heard it first, 2017, at some point, sometime soon, Black Beckham will be the lead vocals and the voice of the intro song to the money that Yeah, I like it. I'm on board, too. I'm on board, and uh, thanks again. I do have to say seriously, thanks, though. I appreciate you taking time. This was fun, and we'll definitely, uh, it won't be as long the next time we go without speaking. It's going to be much sooner. I can uh, promise you that. And best definitely. of luck with everything. Definitely. Thanks again to Black Beckham for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. A huge thanks, huge shout out to Black Beckham for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and discussing his career, his passions, his friendship with Willie Reed, as well as his NBA thoughts. We're going to have him back on, and that theme song is going to happen. And I, that was not a planned bit. He caught me off guard, but I am fully committed to having someone as talented as him to make my theme song. So thanks again to Black Beckham. Best of luck in his career this year. 2017 is going to be a big year for a lot of us, him included. Right now, it's time to talk to Adam Musto, reoccurring guest on the Money Mitch Effect. We're going to recap NFL Wildcard Weekend. All four home teams win, and they cover the spreads, too. That's very, very rare that that happens in a playoff weekend. We'll talk about that. And one interview, one the topic of uh, discussion with our college football championship picks, Alabama, Clemson, all that and more. Money Mitch Effect with Adam Musto. Here it is now. All right, joining me now on the Money Mitch Effect, recurring guest Adam Musto. Adam, thanks for joining the show again as we recap NFL Wildcard Weekend. Yep, thanks for having me. Uh, it caught me at a kind of a rough time, sort of recovering from having to witness the Packers beat down. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I guess that's where we are in the NFL. It is. It's, it's, as a Bears fan, I know you had to just watch what happened with horror and, and familiarity, oddly enough. But... I do want to briefly mention one thing before we get into it, and that is, for all of our listeners out there, 
Last night, Saturday, just an informal informal uh, announcement. I did have a small gathering. You were there. We were looking for background noise. It's late on the West Coast. And we turned on what we didn't know at the time. We thought it was just a Mountain West basketball game, but it ended up being the greatest comeback probably of the 2016-17 season. Yeah, the game was unreal. I, I think at one point, you know, I remember looking at the score at one point, and it was like 40 to 20, and then and all of a sudden you look, and it's 88-91, and yeah, the comeback was unreal. Overtime was un- unreal. So those are always fun to get get those games, and, you know, college basketball is a funny sport. It gets really exciting down the end, but yeah, just an unbelievable comeback. You had New Mexico and Nevada, both teams with good records. The game was played at New Mexico at their famous Pitt Arena. They blew a 25-point lead with about eight minutes left. Nevada was eight was six for six on threes to end regulation. The last one, just a long toss at the hoop that banked in, and then hitting the winning three in overtime down two. It was unbelievable. It was a, it was a degenerate gambler's dream. So I was happy to have witnessed it. Just yeah, a lot of fun just to see a game like that, and especially maybe you know because the playoff games were such blowouts. Just in general, watching an exciting sports game, it was a nice uh, change. It certainly was. Now as we dive back into the NFL, Adam. You mentioned this before we went on air. Last year it was the road story. In this round, all four road teams won. This year it was the exact opposite. All four home teams won. And not only that, not only did they win, Adam, but they all covered. And a lot of them were very, very big favorites, but they all covered. Should we have been surprised at any of the aspects of this, or is this to be expected? Dominant teams winning, playing dominant football at home. Yeah, I mean, really it didn't surprise me. I mean, I I picked Oakland just because... I've not really sold on the AFC South winner, you know, year in, year out, and, and the Texans and, you know, what they showed last year. But obviously with Connor Cook at quarterback, that was still kind of a toss-up. So that one didn't really surprise me. You know, obviously the Packers-Giants, a lot of people were saying that Eli had done it twice before. I kind of thought that the game was going to go two ways. It was either going to be a blowout for Green Bay or if it was going to be a close game, the Giants could sneak in and, and, and win it. But it changed so quickly, and... You know, Aaron Rodgers, I think he has some type of sense about, you know, how he's playing, how people are perceiving him, because the first half, they're not doing much, and but it's just a matter of time. I mean, if you're playing the Packers, I don't think you can ever feel confident that you're going to close out a game unless you have a 28-point lead with about four minutes to go. So, you know, nothing really surprising. You know, I didn't at all expect the Lions to go into Seattle and win, and then obviously the Steelers took care of Miami pretty Easily, which is what I expected, you know, a cold weather team without a whole lot of playoff experience. I think what it really comes down to is is this year was just kind of a weird year in football, and you get a lot of the experienced teams, playoff-tested teams, with teams that aren't really there yet. And, and for some reason, it seemed like there was just a big glut of mediocre teams this year, and a lot of them ended up making to the playoffs. You, you have Pittsburgh, New England, and Green Bay and Dallas, and, and you know, I, a lot of the other teams don't really scare me as much. I would agree with that. I think... You know, I went three for four on picks this weekend, too. I missed that Giants one. But it's weird, though. I don't think I'm necessarily surprised. I went with the thought process like you that they could win a battle with their defense. And we're going to get into that as the final game recap of the show. But that clearly was not the case in the second half. I do want to start with Raiders-Texans, the first game, the Houston Texans annual Saturday afternoon wild card game. And I I think the big story here was that they knew a formula that could work. Win with defense, simplify the game plan for Osweiler, get a lead early, and then just milk the game on in an ugly format. They won. It wasn't pretty. 
But I look at it from the Houston perspective, Adam, that their defense led the league in fewest yards against, and they knew that they could win an ugly one at home. I think it was, a, a honestly, a really good job coaching by Bill O'Brien. You know, I definitely don't give them enough credit because I don't really count a whole lot of games that you see, you know, when you're playing good defense. I think it's different going against the Jaguars and the, the Colts. But yeah, you know, I, I've, I like to see Jadavian Clowney play well. You know, there's some players that, you know, and obviously he never had any problems off the field, but I guess it was kind of tough to see him maybe labeled as a bust pretty early in his career, right. and then obviously that knee injury. And would uh, would you say, sorry to catch up, but would you say he's maybe the most unheralded story this year is how he's rebounded from maybe being a bust, that narrative, to having one of the best years, having the best year of his career and one of the best defensive years of anybody this season? Yeah, it's funny, the, the Texans never really caught as much flack as you would expect from totally missing at one point what we thought on a first overall pick. I mean, usually if you miss on a, a first overall pick, that ends up being detrimental for almost an entire decade. And, and that was kind of the funny, um, you know, pretty underrated matchup yesterday was Mack versus uh, Clowney, two of the best, probably the best defender, defenders to come out of that draft. But yeah, I mean, it'll obviously just be scary what will happen when you have Watt on the other side and giving props to Whitney Merciless out of Illinois, too, had a you know, couple of sacks yesterday. So I guess, in a sense, it is kind of refreshing. The NFL is so much all about the quarterbacks, and I think it's nice in the playoffs to have those teams that win by defense. You know, obviously right. we saw last year with Denver. But, you know, I, I know they're, they're 16-point underdogs against the Patriots coming up. So <laughs> yeah. it, the, the funny thing is, and the Patriots always seem to do this, you know, this week there's going to be a lot of hype around the the Texans, but the Patriots are always that team that will crush your spirits. I mean, they did it with Tim Tebow and I feel like the Jets a couple years, so it will be very difficult. I mean, I don't have any intention of picking against Tom Brady now, but I'm sure most of America will probably be rooting against the Patriots, so we'll, we'll hopefully maybe they can give them a shot. <laughs> well, and the one guy that I want to add to that list, so that Texans defense, and he had a great game, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, but is it A.J. Bouye? Bouye, yeah, Bouye. I was thinking A.J. Dewey, the uh, <laughs> Dolphins linebacker of the 80s, but yeah. So Bouye is a great, he's he's like the new Josh Norman. He's a guy that's kind of underrated in that sense, that you didn't expect him to be this good. And when you have a secondary that's playing the way they are, you kind of understand why they're so frustrated at that quarterback position, because they just need something, and you could win like the Broncos, like the Ravens, with defense. In the short term, it was a great performance by the Texans. They've overcome adversity. They've overcome inefficiencies at certain positions. Osweiler, again, had a solid day, but wasn't, you know, a world beater. They, they didn't need that much from him. That's, you know, that's the big thing with this game. He only threw for 108 or 168 yards, excuse me, with a QBR of about 85.4. He didn't throw any picks. That's the big thing. And they, they ran the ball out with Lamar Miller. It wasn't pretty, but they were able to get the lead early and capitalize on the fact, Adam, that the other team was starting a third-string quarterback in Connor Cook. And I don't want to pile on the young man, but it was a rough day. A QBR in single digits, three interceptions. I got the sense that it was a combination of a guy that really wasn't ready, and I don't know how he could be ready, Adam, but also a coaching staff that they knew it. They tried to limit what he was doing all day. None of it worked. Yeah, I mean, it really, I think it's very similar to the Ryan Lindley situation with the Cardinals a couple years right. ago where, just thinking about it now, there's a lot of similarities. The Cardinals kind of came from nowhere. You know, a team that you don't really think all of a sudden they're in the playoffs again, 
And uh, they were just a defeated team when the Cardinals lost Palmer, when, when the Raiders lost Carr. And the thing I heard is you kind of, there's nothing you can do. You basically have a practice squad quarterback playing for you. And, uh, you know, the Texans are able to overcome, you know, suspect quarterback play. But obviously, Brock Osweiler is no is different than Connor Cook. There's a reason that Brock Osweiler was paid a lot of money, even though I don't know if he deserves much of it. But, but obviously, Connor Cook, you know, wasn't even dressed a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I think, too, with Cook, I mean, people don't understand that as a third-string quarterback, you get no reps. I mean, you barely get any reps if you're a backup, if the starter wants to take a lot of them. And Cook just could not, I don't know if he'll ever be a good quarterback. It's hard to say. The odds probably aren't in his favor, but it's hard to say off of one game. And the Raiders aren't the, aren't the Broncos. Their defense was not good. They couldn't lean on their defense to get stops, even against the poor quarterback on the other side. They were defeated going in. Card probably is the most valuable in the truest sense because of how much his team needed him. But it was a good win for the Texans, and they're moving on. I do want to switch to the evening game now on Saturday evening, uh, NFL Wildcard Weekend, talking with Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect. And that, Adam, was the Seahawks beating the Lions. Now, again, we weren't shocked with what happened. Seattle at home, tough to beat, and really... It's historic how well their defense consistently plays at home. Yeah, it, it, and, and that's why I think the Lions must have been quite frustrated, really not this week, but last week when they lost to the Packers, knowing that they went from you know having a home game. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to go into Seattle. I mean, you almost have to, this sounds kind of weird, but Seattle, oddly enough, is a team that plays incredibly well on the road. For whatever reason, you know, you have these teams that you would trust to win a road playoff game. I think Seattle is one of those teams. Pittsburgh and, you know, Baltimore a few years ago are those teams. And I think it's just a solid quarterback who doesn't really worry about the pressure or being down. Solid coaching that just kind of, you know, rides the waves and takes the game for all, all that it is. But you know, the Lions are a young team without a whole lot of playoff experience. And obviously, you know, all the stats about how Matt Stafford has struggled against teams with winning records. And, and you know, I don't know if you take him in a game that means a whole, that you need to win. So it's just going to take some time. You know, obviously they didn't have Calvin Johnson this year. So, but, you know, they have a lot of other playmakers. But it, it's hard to win on the road, and especially in Seattle. I mean, that place is just so loud. And I think the, the culture around the Seahawks is unlike you know, all but maybe a couple teams in the NFL. Right, and the Lions were uh, a broken team, having finished the season now with a four-game losing streak. All of them, though, two good teams, but they lose the last three in the regular season, cost themselves the division, and now lose to Seattle. Defensively, Seattle, on the O-line, I should say, had weaknesses. You can stop the run. You can, you can get through to Russell Wilson, get through that line. But Detroit's defense, one of the worst units, top to bottom in the league, and they could not get any pressure. Rawls gashed them to the tune of over 160 yards and a touchdown, and it was going to be a long day. You saw that early. From the Seattle side, they got Rawls to play well. Paul Richardson made some grabs. Doug Baldwin kept playing well. They had playmakers that give you a sense of optimism going into next week against Atlanta. And on the defensive side, Adam, while Earl Thomas isn't there, they had enough support around them to take advantage of a Lions team that, as you said, does not have Calvin Johnson. I do wonder, though, when they play Julio, when they play Matt Ryan in the number one offense, is that when we finally see how valuable Earl Thomas is to a defense? 
Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, the, the only thing is, uh, you know, Atlanta also has a lot of things that they have to prove. And it's just going to be a really a fun game to see what happens because that is one that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will be writing off Atlanta just because of their playoff struggles. And, you know, we haven't seen it. And it's funny how there is, I think, something to be said about showing up in the playoffs and being a playoff guy. I know eventually we'll talk about the Giants Giants and Packers. You know, today was Odell Beckham's debut. But you just see, <laughs> yeah, you know, what, a what Larry Fitzgerald has, has done in the playoffs. And, you know, we just haven't seen it from Matt Ryan. And I think it, it is, for whatever reason, you know, it's great if you put up a lot of numbers in the regular season. But, you know, playoff game knowing you literally have 60 minutes and if you lose, your season's over. And just that pressure, I mean, it's like, you know, if you fall behind, all of a sudden you're pressing. It's it's very, it's just very stressful. The Seahawks have that experience and they've won on the road. So, and I'm sure, you know, Julio Jones is anxious to get out there um, and prove people wrong. And, and, you know, he's obviously an exciting player. But it, it, if Seattle can jump on them early, then uh, all of a sudden the Falcons might face a lot of pressure. That catch by Richardson was phenomenal. Uh, an unbelievable one-handed grab. But... It was a face mask also. I don't yeah. you know, it's, it's, they're not the first team, they're not the last team to get preferential treatment. Although Russell Wilson getting a couple roughings against him when we saw today Eli Manning got pretty much tomahawked to the tune of no flag. I just think there may be some home cooking at those games. That's all I'm saying. And, and Bill, going on to the divisional round, Adam, I think, would you agree that the four years ago, the rematch of this game, Falcons and Seahawks, one of the forgotten classic playoff games? Oh, yeah. So the Falcons ended up winning, but they had a big lead, yes. and the, the uh, Seahawks almost came back, right? And then they took the lead. Uh, Atlanta, who still had not won a game. This was the only playoff game that Matt Ryan has won in his career, despite having a uh, home field for a while. Get a huge lead, blow it all in the fourth quarter, and then drive down and kick the game winning field goal to win. It was yeah. an instant classic, a game forgotten because, I think, because of the outcome of the game. You had Atlanta win, but they lose to San Francisco next week and then fall to irrelevance for a few years. Seattle loses, but like you said, the fire burned in them and they win the Super Bowl, become this power, go to another one and are a dominant team. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, the funny thing, yeah, that game, it, it was kind of like we were talking about the Nevada-New Mexico game. It would have been basically if, you know, Nevada had lost in overtime, I feel like you lose some of that luster. You know, there's been some playoff games of note, you know, some stats I heard. So t this weekend we had some rematches of some old games. Um, I think there was stats that the in every time the Dolphins and the Steelers had played in the playoffs, the winner ended up advancing to the NFL championship, whether it was the Super Bowl or before the Super Bowl, and the same thing with the Giants. Packers, wow. obviously the last two in the 2000s and a few way back in the 60s and 40s, I believe. Yeah, it's an interesting set of circumstances, and I can't wait for those games next week. But still a few more to recap here on the Money Mitch Effect with Adam Musto. Today's Action Sunday, as we're recording this, started with an absolute beatdown. I, mean, I think it, it reminded me of the, the uh, Apollo-Ivan Drago fight in Rocky IV. It was Steelers destroying the Dolphins. And, you know, this game ended up closer than the final score actually indicated a score that wasn't that much of a blowout. But I watched this game, Adam, and I could not believe just how physically imposing Pittsburgh was winning this game 30-12 to on offense from the very get-go. It was almost as if Miami didn't realize that Antonio Brown was one of the best receivers in the NFL. Yeah, and, and it was funny. I was actually, I went to church this morning and then I came home thinking I would watch the game on... Uh 
delay and catch up with it. But by the time I got home, it was already 14-0 to after only about five minutes in the first quarter. I mean, unfortunately for the Dolphins, I think they literally had everything going against them. You know, it's first of all, the Steelers are not a team that anyone wants to play in the playoffs. Also at home, the Dolphins don't nearly lose going from Tannehill to Matt Moore as much as, say, the Raiders do going from Carr to Cook. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't much of that gap. But I think also, I mean, I would... This might be an old school idea, but I, I, I do also feel the weather just played a factor. You know, Miami going into Pittsburgh and, you know, leaving the, the com- comfort of Miami. I, I think, and just the, you know, lack of playoff experience. The Steelers have been there before. I feel like this Miami team, and hopefully they're on the way up with Adam Gase and, and the players around them. But, you know, things might be looking up for them. But, but it almost seemed like this was kind of a team that either A, was just happy to be there, or B, was just really cold. I, yeah, I didn't get the just happy to be there vibe, but I did get a inexperienced, inexplicable. I mean, the guy jumps over the line before this ball snapped on a, on a field goal. That just summed up everything that was going wrong for them. And it was dropped passes, it was penalties, it was just very, very ineffective football against a team that, even though all those guys have had injuries, Roethlisberger, Bell, and Brown, they knew how to win big games. They were ready to go. They were sharp. They were crisp. And if you're not ready to go from the first snap, you could be in a lot of trouble in playoff football in the one-and-done format. But also think, too, is there any team more dangerous, is there any running back more dangerous than Le'Veon Bell, the Pittsburgh Steelers, with that lead? Because I got the sense that when they got up early, it was, okay, now we're going to let the big fella eat. And he was a beast, could just control the game with that lead. You, You felt like the Dolphins could never get back in it. Oh, yeah, he's so smooth and patient in his vision. And, you know, the four-minute offense, they run that to perfection, I think. And, and, you know, I remember in 05, they had stats when either Roethlisberger's first or second year, but they would just run Bettis. And some they had games where they didn't even pass a ball in the fourth quarter. You know, I think you can get back to that. He's so versatile. I know some people even would put them in the MVP conversation just an amazing playmaker. He is, and I do think the Dolphins, it's not the end of them. I don't think they're going anywhere necessarily. We'll see what they do at the quarterback position, but Gase did a good job. No one really expected them to even get to the playoffs, so a good measuring stick, a good uh, humbling experience. And then you Yeah, have I mean, Steelers honestly, the, the, the most frustrating thing for them just has to be that they have to compete against Tom Brady every year, and, <laughs> yeah. and realistically, they know that, okay, we're, you know, most teams compete for the division every year, and then they say, <laughs> okay, we, we have to try to get one of those two wild cards, which isn't, you know, sometimes in yeah. the, just to get a wild card, you have to almost win 11 or 12 games to assure anything. Yeah, and then you had uh, you had every team in that division thinking that, though. You had, exactly. you had Jim Kelly say on Buffalo Radio, what's it going to take for us to... What's it going to take for the Bills to make the playoffs and their streak of longest active NFL team to not make the playoffs? And he said, Tom will have to retire. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a Buffalo guy, too. So, I mean, you know, yeah. you know what it's like there. But And the last game of the weekend, the one that went final, Green Bay destroys the Giants. And I say destroys. That part of it is shocking. Not necessarily the outcome, Adam. But this was a game that was 14-13 to 13 in the second half. At the, near the end of the third quarter, Green Bay wins 38-13. to 13. It was, you could say, vintage Rodgers, vintage Packers at home. It was a dominant performance by a team now on a seven-game winning streak. Let's start, though, with the quarterback. 25 for 40, 362, four touchdowns, no picks. Just doesn't get any better than what number 12 did for Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, you saw everything out there. You, you can't sack him. If you pressure him, you're not going to bring him down. You can't cover the wide receivers for 10, you know, 15 seconds. 
and he just the, the balls are perfect. They're you know it, it's the he's like a robot. He's like a machine. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, the narrative of the game was just so crazy because the first half it's six zero, and you're looking at it. You know what it kind of reminded me of was that Titans Rams Super Bowl where. You know, it was only 9-0 at halftime. Basically, the Giants played about as perfect a game as they could, but you look at the scoreboard and you're only up six, and then all of a sudden it's gone, and then by the time, you know, it's a close game, you go from leading to losing, and then it's a blowout. The storyline in the first half was kind of, oh, what's wrong with Rodgers? What's wrong with the Packers' offense? And then you figure out exactly what, what the thing is about, you know, 20 minutes later. Yeah, you said earlier that you can never feel safe with Rodgers at the helm. You also felt like as a fan, or for me as an impartial fan watching this, the Giants, when they didn't get touchdowns in the red zone, that was their opportunity to really make this their type of game. They left points on the board. Rodgers found his rhythm. At first, you know, the Giants' defense was getting to him, was confusing Yeah, him. I mean, they, they did get a couple of big sacks for sure. They started pick, he started picking them apart. Even when Jordy Nelson went down with a pretty, pretty brutal-looking yep. rib shot, a clean hit, but... Definitely took him out of the game. Adams came up. Cobb had three touchdowns. And the Hail Mary, I, I know that changed the, the complexity of the game. And I know Hail Marys, in theory, Adams, should be considered pretty much luck. But, man, is there anybody that's ever done it better than Rodgers throwing the ball deep downfield in perfect unison? No, I, I don't think so. You know, the, the funny comparison to that is kind of like, you know, I think the Drew Brees stat that there's been like nine nine players in NFL history have thrown for five thousand yards in a season, and he's done four. You know, four of those times it's kind of like this. You know, each quarter, you know, there might be a, a dozen Hail Marys in NFL history. You know, more or less, obviously, but you know, he's got, you know, he's got at least three that you can think of right away, and it does seem like it's a pretty high probability shot. You know, that that it's going to happen. It's almost like it, it, it's not a surprise at all. We joke about the Bears Browns Hail Mary in two thousand one. That was a long time ago, and it's like probably the only time I'll witness anything like that in my lifetime. And you see it from you know Rogers on a season to season basis. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And the one time in the game where I thought there was a little drama where it was not ideal was when I'd say inexplicably, inexplicably, Mike McCarthy decided to go for it inside of his own forty, up by eight. And he, it seemed like he had the points. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they don't have as much confidence. And, and um, well, Mason Crosby, I think, has done pretty well this year. I know last year he had some problems. Um, but, yeah, I guess you just trust your offense. And, and you know, even the, the Packers' defense came up pretty well. And, obviously, you know, the Giants also had a lot of drops. They didn't really help themselves. But, you know, I think at Lambeau you just kind of get enough momentum that you can kind of weather some, some storms as they come. Yeah, they were able to do that. The defense, the much maligned, much scrutinized defense played well. Clay Matthews, a big part of that. Jake Ryan, a nice player out of Michigan as well. And the Packers are moving on to Dallas. But from the Giants' perspective, they lose 38-13. to This was a team with some buzz. I know they were the 5C, but they beat Dallas twice. A lot of people were thinking this could be their year, another run. Eli has beaten the Packers twice at Lambeau. And... He actually had never lost a game as an underdog in the playoffs, but here he is, out, and I go to the offense first. They could never get it going, and I, I don't really know what the reason for that was. They've never been able to run the football, but offensively against a team that could be scored on, Giants just didn't get it done. Yeah, I mean, they just had a lot of drops. and You know, this is one thing I kind of think about. It. I was just thinking about this today. It might be more of a conspiracy theory of anything, but 
we always talk about the gloves and how sticky the gloves are. And, you know, people say, oh, Odell wouldn't have made that catch if he was, you know, going barehanded or didn't wear the modern gloves. If it's that cold, I feel like the gloves don't stick as well. I don't, I don't know. Is that Does that make sense or no? It might be. We need to get sports science in here and really, uh, really de- debate that. But you could have a point. And I'm glad you brought up Odell because he had one of the worst debuts for a great player in playoff history. I know that sounds like a loaded sentence, but it was very tough to watch a guy that's so dominant never really find his footing. Now, a lot of people are going to reference the boat in Miami and that whole side of it. My only thing with Beckham is that, forget about the boat for a second, Adam. This is a guy that when stuff starts going bad on the field, he has a tough time processing it. He has a tough time, from my perspective, moving on from play to play, from series to series, and overcoming adversity as it happens. And I think we saw that at Green Bay. Yeah, and I, I think that's especially important in the playoffs because, you know, it's one thing in a regular season game where you know you're, you're going to have a game next week and, you know, you might not be playing against the stiffest of competitions. But, yeah, absolutely in the playoffs, you know, you have, it's cliche, but you have 60 minutes and, it, you know, when the game's over, that's it, your season's over. So you just have to kind of control your emotions. And, and you know, I think he left a pretty big hole in the wall. He punched a wall after the game. You know, I, I noticed that in the regular season, there was a handful of games over the last couple of years where he would score a late go-ahead touchdown, but there'd still be a minute or two in the clock. And obviously, we've seen it with Rodgers. That's more than enough time to score. You know, against the Ravens, for example, he, he scored and, you know, took off his helmet. Um, I think that was the first time he proposed to the goal, to the kicking net. But there was still, you know, a minute and a half left, and, and they ended up winning the game. But it's the same way, you know, the game's not over till it's it's over. And, and yeah, I think it just kind of got to him. You have to continue to play. And if things go well, you know, things don't go well, it's not, you can't just give up. Yeah, and, and you know, just to kind of, you know, elaborate on what you said, Adam, I also don't think that they lost this game because of the partying in Miami. You can say maybe they shouldn't have done that, but then the team needs to have rules and say you can't. If they have... Strict rules, just be here on Tuesday, be able to prepare, that's fine. In the day and age that we live in, though, these professionals have to understand that they're going to be scrutinized. You go to Miami, you party on a yacht, photos are going to surface. That's part of the trade-off of being a pro athlete. You know, I think they have to understand that that is a talking point and it will be mentioned. But it didn't sound terrible. It wasn't a, a Vikings love boat Fred Smoot situation. So we can all breathe e- easier. I know you, you referenced... Um, you referenced uh, not facing the stiffest competition. I don't think that was a love boat reference, so I'm just not going to treat it as such. No, I didn't, but that is a funny pun. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't worry about the boat thing. You've seen it on both sides. It's almost like the you know the whole does icing the kicker work, and you have examples of does it work, does it not work. You know, the, the example I bring up was the 1980 Super Bowl uh, Eagles Raiders. The Eagles were the button up team with. Dick Vermeil, and I think they had curfew every night, and the Raiders were, you know, wild guys out all the time. <laughs> the Eagles, I think the pressure kind of got to them, and they weren't able to let loose, and they ended up, you know, losing the game. So, I mean, I, this was Odell's first season, and as our first playoff game, and, and as good as he's been with the stats and the catches and stuff, he was a guy that the Giants struggled in the win and loss column his first two years. So this was kind of his first chance, and I think it will just take time to kind of get into that playoff mindset. I think it's something you see with the Seahawks. And, and 
definitely the Patriots. I, I think it takes a while to build that culture. You know, it's almost as a Patriot fan, your season doesn't really get exciting until the playoffs, and 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 maybe the Giants kind of thought, oh, you know, we're in it again. And and their culture's been a little different, just because even though they have the two Super Bowl wins over the last decade or so, they haven't made the playoffs outside of those years. I think only one other time. So they probably maybe thought that they were a little bigger than they were. <laughs> or, or, you know, we're going to try to ride. I think there was just so much talk about people almost assumed, hey, right. we beat the Packers twice. We can yeah. do it before or, you know, do it again. But it's just, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's, they thought that they thought that, oh, we're the Giants. This is what we do. They relied on history, not facts, not football yeah. facts in 2016. Yeah, you don't even realize the first, you know, I almost forgot that Brett Favre played in the first game. I was thinking it was both against Rodgers. You know, one thing I kind of compare it to is, is, when the the Patriots are playing a Bills or a Jets team, you always go back to the time, you know, the one or two couple times where the Bills or Jets upset New England, saying, "Well, they could do it again." But if you play them enough, it's going to happen. So it's just about being the team that prepares and you know has the talent and doesn't look for history to repeat itself because it's not that always going to. Right, and defensively, you know, the Giants they needed Pierre Paul. I think not having him as a pass rusher really came through at the end of that game. I didn't think they played entirely bad until the final stretch. But, you know, again, when you don't have an offense that's moving the ball, the Giants scoring under 20 points a game all season, it wears on you. And eventually you break down against these good teams. And I think we saw it today. But Oh, yeah, that's, and that's never going to work against Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> no, you need an offense that can put up points because he's yep. going to do that. And they're going to Dallas, seven-game winning streak against those two Wiz kids. We sat through a lot of bad football, but Cowboys-Packers and, and some of the AFC games, maybe at least the Steelers-Chiefs game, I think we should see some better football in Week 2. I think that's a safe, conservative bet. The divisional round generally can be the best weekend of football because you have so many games, and you know generally you kind of get the wildcard teams, you know, clear the weeds out. So you have some pretty good, good games, and you know, hopefully we'll get a couple upsets or at least you know, something a little more competitive. We should. Well, Adam Musto, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. But before I let you go, this is going to air on Monday morning. The title game is Monday night, college football, Alabama-Clemson. Who do you think is going to pull this one out? I know who you were probably rooting for, but who do you ultimately will think think will win this game? Well, I'm going to be rooting for Clemson just because I'm a little biased against the SEC and, and obviously want to see the team that hasn't done it before win. I, I want to pick Clemson just because I want to go against the favorite, I think. <laughs> um, but but I, I don't really see it. I think Alabama will just kind of continue their dominance. And, and, you know, they have the players and they have the preparation. I mean, generally, I think I would always take off a defense over offense. And, and I think Alabama can be the type of team that, you know, shuts down the playmakers of Mike Williams and, and Watson. Yeah, I'm with you. Do not want to see Bama of all teams win. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of another SEC school. I'm sick of the month of tweets and texts and st- and think pieces on how dominant the SEC is when every other team except for Alabama had at least four losses in the conference. But I can't hate on their game. Defensively, I think they can limit Watson. Watson's a great player. He, he's capable of having a good game. But you know what, Adam? Last year, he played about as well as humanly possible, and they still lost. And Alabama's defense is a little better this year. So I'm going to go with Bama. I think it'll be about a 10-point game, but I think they win this game. And you know what? If they do, I think it clinches it to me. I mean, Saban's got to be the greatest college coach of all time, right? I would think so. I mean, I guess for me, it's just it's hard for me to not forget or to forget what 
did in Miami. And obviously, yeah. I know you said Gray's oh, college yeah. coach, but it, it's to me a coach is a coach, and it's just hard to get that out of my mind. So, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you know you don't really hold that against obviously guys that were lifelong in college and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's definitely impressive, you know, and especially in this day and age. If he wins one more, it'll be his sixth title. I just think the era, I have a lot of respect for Bear Bryant for what he did. That's probably the other coach in terms of titles, but it's a different era now. And I don't know what's being done. Let's just, I'm not going to get into the legal, not legal side of it. But he gets the job done. He wins championships. He's doing it in the, in the hardest conference to recruit in, and he's figuring it out. But I'm excited for this game, and there's not that much football left. It's kind of sad to think about. Right, yeah, and uh, I know the Arena League just announced their schedule oh, today, but well. there's only uh, there's only four teams, so uh, really? I maybe wouldn't hold your breath on that oh, too much. Wow. Um, but yeah, you know, Alabama has, has had it for a sustained time, and it's funny because we talk about, you know, every time a team wins a national championship, it's like, oh, they're a dynasty. You know, you thought USC and Texas and Miami and Oregon, but, but I feel like Alabama has had that sustained run, you know, longer than just, you know, two or three years of always being in the dance. Yeah, they're a dominant program. It should be a good game. As we expect more good NFL football, at least some good NFL football should be happening this week as well. But Adam Musto, thanks again. Thanks, as always, for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Of course. Thank you. Very big thanks to both Black Beckham and Adam Musto for appearing on the Money Mitch Effect today. They're stand-up guys. I wish them the best this year, and I really appreciate the time they took out of their days, out of their busy schedules, to talk sports and other interests with me. Really appreciate that. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. The Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. I told you 2017 was going to be a big year. I'm not lying. Guests are lining up. I am lining up some other things as well. I'll keep you in the loop as I know more details on that. You can follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21 for sports and other takes. Enjoy the college football championship game tonight. Enjoy hockey, basketball, whatever your interests are. More NFL football this weekend. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good sports month. January always is. For everybody else affiliated with this show, I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. We'll see you next time.